This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by Turismo de Lisboa. The Iberian Peninsula offers some of the best birding in Europe, and Lisbon, Portugal is an excellent gateway to it all. Located at the mouth of the Tagus River with exceptional birding just a short distance away, Lisbon is a paradise for migratory waterbirds with wintering flamingos, storks, raptors, and more. And it's one of the most affordable cities in Europe. For more information on what you can expect from Portugal's capital, be it cultural or birding highlights, go to visit Lisbon. Boa.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast, the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. And if you have listened at all to this podcast, you know that I am a sucker for bird-related stories that make it through to general public news outlets. It is a recurring theme here in this podcast. I'm a firm advocate for these sorts of media, even if they don't always get the bird stuff entirely right. For the most part, they do a pretty good job. I, I will say it feels like they're getting better about that. But there, there was a doozy this week as a result of a paper published in the journal Current Biology. Here are a few of the headlines that made their way to general interest media outlets. From USA Today, the world's loudest birds attract mates by screaming in their face. From PBS, world's loudest bird flirts by screaming in your face. There's a theme here. The New York Times, the loudest bird in the world has a song like a pile driver. <laughs> that bird, of course, is the white bellbird. Apparently, it has a very good publicist or, or a bad publicist. It's hard to say. The song itself, which, you know, you might want to take your earbuds out for a second. It is actually very loud. Here he goes. It is 125 decibels the equivalent we are told of a rock concert or an ambulance siren the difference being of course that the bellbird call is not continuous like a concert or a siren i feel like they could have made that more clear i mean it's cool nonetheless bellbirds are known for their bizarre calls if you've ever birded in costa rica or trinidad to fairly popular neotropic destinations for american or canadian birders you might be familiar with three waddled or bearded bellbirds who yeah, you know, it must be said have a pretty impressively loud, though evidently not a record-breaking voice. I will say that in my own sort of limited experience with bellbirds, which are the three waddled variety in Costa Rica, the thing that stuck out to me as being especially cool, and this is something you can see on any sort of YouTube video of these birds, is how they, they open their mouths like 90 degrees and then there's this half second of like nothing before that crazy bell tone sound that is evidently produced by a bird whose whole body is just like ripped with muscle. Birds are, are pretty powerfully built in their torso. The needs of flight require that. Uh, but evidently bellbirds are like the Terry Crews of perching birds. Well, they're not really perching birds. They're contingas. But that's a whole other thing. Anyway, there's more information in the show notes on these birds. On the show today, it's Halloween. I asked some birders on the Red Polling Facebook group for some bird-related costumes. They did not disappoint. Thank you for all of those. I'll try to describe them as best I can towards the end of the show. But first, birds inspire us in so many different ways. But have they inspired you to incredibly detailed and elaborate eye makeup? 
That is one of the ways that Dr. Lisa Buckley engages with birds and birders and just people in general. And she's with me to talk about her bird glamour right after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the end of October 2019. One of my favorite things about rare birds and vagrancy is when a super, super rare bird shows up in one place and then a second individual shows up in another sort of similar place. It goes to show that these sorts of movements frequently consist of more than just one bird that birders you know, happen to come across. There are a lot of rare birds out there, and honestly, it is amazing when we manage to intersect with them. This happened recently when a yellow-browed warbler, which is a widespread East Asian perching bird, part of that very cryptic group of old world warblers. This was seen near Victoria, British Columbia. This was a first provincial record and a first for Canada. Interestingly, the second such bird this fall after the brown shrike, which turned up not too far away a couple of weeks ago. This was also the first ABA area record of this species away from Alaska, but not the only North American record away from Alaska, as there is one record from Baja, California. And that is sort of prologue to the news that not more than a few days after the British Columbia bird was found, another yellow-browed warbler was seen in Alpine County, California, where it was obviously a first state record, which is all the more impressive given that California boasts the largest state or provincial list in the ABA area, something in the, in the 670s, almost 680 now, I think. So it's not an eruption, but it's definitely a pattern and probably one of the more interesting rare bird stories of 2019 so far. So those were the most dramatic, but certainly not the only noteworthy rares to report for the last couple of weeks. In Quebec, a black-tailed gull, another East Asian bird, in Tadoussac represents a provincial first record. Maryland had its first record of hermit warbler in Garrett County, perhaps not too surprising, given that there have been so many Townsend's warblers in the eastern part of the continent this fall. Alabama had a state-first white-crowned pigeon on Dauphin Island in the Gulf Coast, a species that is very unusual anywhere away from the Florida Keys, at least in the ABA area. And speaking of birds of possible Floridian origin, a snail kite was photographed in Erie County, Pennsylvania this week, another record that just boggles the mind. While this species is very closely associated with the Everglades, it is actually pretty widespread in the American tropics and the very southern population, so that is the population in the southern cone of South America, is in fact highly migratory. So it's quite possible that this was an overshoot from South America with an individual so far off track. Uh, just about anything is possible. This is a short look at the Rare Bird reports of the last couple weeks. For everything else, you can go to the ABA blog at blog.aba.org every Friday morning. You can also check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare. Or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. 
How many of you out there have dressed as a bird for Halloween? Uh, I once dressed as a blue-headed vireo for an Audubon board retreat, though that consisted of little more than a gray sweater, a blue cap, and glasses. But there is obviously so much more that can be done, and Dr. Lisa Buckley has taken bird-inspired cosplay to its logical extreme. In her day job, she is a vertebrate paleontologist in British Columbia, but on the side, she has created bird glamour, eye makeup inspired by a whole host of bird species. There's perhaps no other person more suited to talk with on Halloween. Welcome, Lisa. Uh, are you dressing up or otherwise doing something bird-related uh, for Halloween this year? Oh, unfortunately, no. <laughs> uh, my husband and I are in the middle of a uh, move right now, oh, so right. everything is up in the air, yes, and we're making runs of you know, <laughs> boxes and whatnot, so it it's at the most inopportune time to sure. try and do something fancy I'm for sure. Halloween. Sure. I mean, I have plans. I have plans in my head, but... Yeah. Darn it, they're not going to be realized this year. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Well, thank you for making time for me. Hey, no problem. So so how did you come up with the idea for, for bird glamour? Was there a particular bird that inspired you? There was. I was chatting with uh, one of my friends on Instagram. They had posted, they were having just the sick run of owl sightings. Mm -hmm. Like it was almost once a week they were finding a new species of owl near their property. And they posted a picture, this glorious picture of a short-eared owl mm. sitting on a fence post. Mm -hmm. And it was a slightly paler uh, plumage of a short-eared owl. And they tagged me and asked, is this a snowy owl? And I you know, responded and said, that's a short-eared owl. They usually don't leave the house without dramatic smoky eye around their <laughs> eyes. And yeah. of course, smoky eye is a makeup term, right? right, right. And then it, and the comment just kind of rattled around in my brain for a few days and it gelled. And I thought, what if I took everyday cosmetics and recreated the colors and patterns on my eyes that we see of birds and use it to get people excited about birds. I mentioned this to my husband and he's like, do it, do it, do it now, do it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and thus bird glamour was born. And, uh, and uh, yeah, my husband became my photographer and uh, there we go. It's a good partnership. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you go about choosing birds to sort of give this treatment? Is there something you're looking for, a particular face pattern that, that stands out to you that seems like it might be fun? Oh, it's, it's a very organic process, I guess. It's, uh, some of it depends on where I happen to be at the time. If I'm visiting a certain area, I'll uh, bring my, uh, lug my huge makeup kit with me. It's grown. Oh, my God. I'll bet. I'll bet. About, yeah. yeah. We had to weigh it for a uh, helicopter trip because we were doing some <laughs> uh, paleontology surveys yeah. in uh, subalpine locations. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'm bringing my bird glamour yeah, kit. You might as well. I'm yeah. going to get some. Yeah, I'm going to get some alpine bird glamour That's done, right. right? And I weighed it, and it was about 20 pounds. So, yeah, it's growing, and I don't <laughs> think it's going to stop growing anytime soon. So a lot of it is it, it is very fluid. So sometimes it'll be I'll check out birds uh, to glamour in a specific location so that I can get really, you know, on-scene, on-site uh, uh, backdrop shots. And, you know, if I can get a photo of the bird at the same time, so much oh, the, better. the better. So yeah. far, that hasn't 
happened because I have lousy photography equipment. So working on that. <laughs> they are they are tough subjects. They are tough subjects. Most oh, of the time. they are. <laughs> and I have an impressive collection of photos of bird butts. So yeah. you know, if yes, anyone I needs photos of bird butts, yeah. <laughs> I got that. Sometimes there'll be a species that I'm interested in or, or a, a species complex like uh, yellow rumped warblers. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, oh, you know, it'd be since they're some of them are very similar in uh, plumage and color patterns. And then there's some subspecies that people just haven't heard about. It's like, it'd be very interesting to do a, uh, a species comparison of all oh, of the yeah, plumages. Yeah. And, and yeah, sometimes I'll just be thinking about a bird and go, oh yeah, I really have to glamour that one. Like <laughs> I, I'm a little bit bird nuts. So I'm usually yeah. thinking about yeah, birds. Yeah, I know. I know that and, feeling. Uh, so one will come across and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I really have to glamour that bird. And sometimes it's season specific, too. Mm -hmm. So if it's uh, winter, I'm going to be focusing a lot on the feeder birds that people might see in their backyard. You know, get them, get them interested in the birds that they might actually come across in their day to day lives. Yeah, so many. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, with the shorted owl, the kind of smoky eye. It's it's funny mm -hmm. how we use that sort of language to describe so many different bird faces. You know, there, there's a lot of overlap between these sort of makeup terms and, and bird ID terms. You know, supercilium oh, is. is a very scientific term, but, you know, the eye line, the eyebrow, these are all terms that have a lot of crossover appeal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like the first few pages of every bird identification yeah, guide shows yeah. the anatomy of the bird and it's like oh yeah look here's the eye line here's mm -hmm. the it has an eye ring we would just call that eye liner in the makeup world and like you said supercilium eyebrow so it's uh, i mean we don't use the term lorries or things like that but <laughs> right. you know, there's i mean the it, it's it's vertebrate anatomy so yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot of homologous structures there and you know the a face is a face is a face that's right and a lot of the anatomy is just it's just going to overlap so it's easy i mean owls in people faces are a lot real easier similar to yeah glamour yeah forward-facing eyes yeah exactly so there's a little bit of uh tweaking you have to do mm -hmm. when you have uh eyes that aren't necessarily facing forward like we have with a lot of birds mm -hmm. what are you looking for on the bird when you're sort of developing your ideas because you know some of your styles are sort of pretty direct interpretations of the bird's face and some are incorporate other kind of plumage aspects yeah how do you decide how you want to approach each species i definitely have to look at each species as as its own bird, as its own unique challenge to get the colors on my face. Because I'm thinking a lot with, uh, say, with sparrows, for mm -hmm. example. Okay. There is a lot of very similar colors and yeah, patterns definitely. around the definitely. eye area. I mean, it's basically variations of brown and gray. And if you're lucky, there's going to be some yellow in there, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> depending on the species. So if there's a lot of birds that have very similar eye patterns and colors, and a lot of birds do, uh, it's there's other key features on a bird that might be useful for identifying the species if you're out walking about. Mm -hmm. So that's when I get to, I, I get to uh, play a little bit and go, okay, yeah, this is what the face of the bird looks like. But if you really want to you know, identify this, uh, this particular warbler, it has two white wing bars on there. So I'm going to incorporate that in mm -hmm. there. And uh, 
especially with the uh, loons. I yes, did, I was gonna uh, I was gonna point that out the, because I saw that that was the most yeah. re- those are the most recent ones you did. Yeah, the loons here, like there's very closely related species of <laughs> right. loons yeah. and the stripes and the uh, stripe pattern on the neck. Yes, is those are really cool. really similar. So yeah. Yeah, I just so that it doesn't look like I'm you know carbon copying a lot of looks. There's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I get to play around with the stripes a bit. You know, so one species might have more white mm-hmm. uh, compared to the black in their stripes, and uh, so you can accentuate that a bit and kind of mix up the stripe pattern a bit. But uh, I always like to pick one specific feature on a bird and it doesn't have to be on their heads it could be on their bodies or backs or their tails that i want to incorporate into the look so I, so that it makes it that bird's look and makes it that makes it unique from mm-hmm. the other birds because that's what we do when we're going out and birding we're looking for those uh, those sure, landmarks absolutely. key features and going oh yeah i see those stripes on that tail you're a you're a broadwinged hawk all right there we go right that's what makes it that bird yeah can can you describe how you go about applying the makeup? Oh, I can. It's uh, it's like in a way, it's it's a lot like painting. And uh, uh, thankfully, yeah. I everyone argues with me when I say I'm not an artist, but I gotta call myself. I have some artistic talent. I gotta do it because. Apparently, there's, this is working. There's a lot yeah, of art involved. involved. Yeah. yeah, you know, when you're thinking, yeah, you know, oh yeah, I'm a scientist, but. There's a lot of art and science too. And so I'm, you know, kind of very slowly becoming more comfortable when people say, Oh, you're a makeup artist. I'm like, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. I guess I am. <laughs> in, in addition, addition to, to being, being a, a paleontologist. Yeah. Not, not a very, yeah, not a huge overlap a lot of times no, in no, those I things, mean, the, but Hey, the Venn diagram is sometimes <laughs> you make circles. your mark, plant yeah, your flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But That's uh, right. yeah. So first I study the bird and I look at the colors and I make sure that I have the colors in my uh, makeup selection first because that if you don't get the colors right then it's just you know it, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel right to me right and uh, then I have to look at my own face because it's not a, it's a canvas but it's a three-dimensional canvas so how I apply mm-hmm. one look on me would be completely different to how I apply that look on someone else's face because there's you know different eye folds and creases, uh, how much space you have mm-hmm. between your eyebrow and your eyelashes, and just and then there's just some quirks of my face where you know I have really bad makeup smudging problems on my lower lid, so I really have to apply a primer. There's just no getting around it. Some people don't have to. I have to. And basically, a primer is just something that helps hold the eyeshadow in place so that it doesn't smudge and smear around every okay. time you blink because it's also a moving yeah, yeah. canvas. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a very yeah. interesting yeah, thing to have true. to paint on. And uh, so after that, then I, I really – I have no better way to say it than I freehand it. It's – uh, I just start, I start painting and I see how the colors are applying. And sometimes I have to layer things a little bit more to get, especially whites and yellows. Those are the trickiest colors to work with, hmm. uh, in, especially in powder eyeshadow form because they go on so pale. And I, I have pale skin, so pale colors are going to be a lot more work on my skin to make them pop out. 
So I end up having to use creams and liquid shadows to actually make those colors pop out. The uh, darker colors, I'm a little bit better with. Those tend to pop out a bit more, but everyone's face is different. So, you know, your mileage may vary, right? Yeah. And, uh, And then I just, yeah, I just start applying the colors and I don't really have a, I have a basic plan, but I keep it fluid because sometimes I might do something and go, oh, God's no, that is uh-huh. just God awful. <laughs> and then out come the makeup wipes and it has to come off. Do you, do you sketch out your plan uh, like on a piece of paper or whatever before you apply it to Once your face? Once or twice I have done that. And then I found that I had to throw the plan out because what I was sketching yeah. huh. didn't translate well into the third dimension. <laughs> which is, you know, all the contours and lumps right. and bumps okay, on my that face. Makes sense. So I found it's just easier to freehand it, to just go with a basic, I have the picture of the bird in front of me, I have my colors, let's do this, let's just see how it turns out. 99% of the time, <laughs> yeah. it, it works. Well, you know, as a, as a man, I have sort of avoided the societal obligation to learn <laughs> how to do uh, eye makeup, but they're, they're definitely seems to be like a wide range of outcomes from something sort of relatively simple like uh, a yellow warbler to something as you know elaborate as you know say the the owls oh, like the great horned yeah. owl there's a lot going on so much in going your great on. horned owl yeah. work yeah so so how how difficult is it how long does it take to do uh for something complex like the owls the birds of prey because they're so subtle and there's so much little detail work that you have to do subtly and then also make it stand out at the same time. And the loons with all of the line work, those are looks that will take, yeah, 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 yeah. those will take anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours to complete. Wow. It's, it's a, at least just to get the, it's intensive. Oh, it yeah. is. Yeah. It's, I don't notice the time passing when I'm doing it. I'm just really in there going, okay, now I got to uh-huh. get the little brown flecks around the eye. And yeah, you, know, you get really wrapped yeah. up in the work so you don't notice the time passing at all yeah you know, you, your pens cramp that's for sure because <laughs> you're holding these tiny <laughs> little brushes at funky angles and going okay i gotta paint this on here yeah, uh, but there's there's looks that are a, a lot more simple like you like the yellow warbler which uh um just because of all the layering i have to do with the yellow uh, that that can take maybe about twenty minutes, half an hour. But uh, yeah, I've yeah. I've sat in front of the mirror for about two hours doing a couple of these looks just to just to get them right. Yeah. Is there a bird that you haven't done that you would like to do? Is there sort of like a, the holy grail oh, bird species? Let's see. Oh, there's so many species of birds. So I'm thinking like <laughs> what, what I'm thinking just off the top. There's some really cool like Asian pheasants. Yeah. You know, like Cedar Tragopin with all these crazy stuff around around the eye uh oh, man that would take that would take forever that would be huge yeah, yeah there's uh there's definitely uh let's see king vulture is one that is Ooh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that would be a very interesting one to do to get it to look vultury and uh not feathery yeah. there's uh some of the birds that uh, well some of the birds that i want to do are uh, completely extinct at this point, and there are actually more dinosaurs than birds. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, of yeah. the uh, feathered dinosaurs that. Oh, uh, that'd be cool. Yeah, because then you've got then you've got like free range to kind of do whatever you like because there's no uh, 
You know, there's very few feathers that have fossilized. Oh, there are a few. Oh, there's quite a few feathers that have fossilized. Oh, maybe, like maybe the, yeah. Cynoceropteryx Sin- is a wonderful example. I haven't done this one yet, but it's definitely on my to-do list. And Colors, uh, too. Yeah, I, I, I do recall some some work. Oh, geez, this was some time ago. I read an article about, you know, in, in the general public publication about, you know, fossilized colors, like being able to determine colors from fossilized feathers is very cool it's wild it is so wild and uh with the sinusoropteryx in particular and not only do they have the colors in some of these feathers preserve the uh, melanosomes they they're very very resistant uh color pigments and uh, and they actually add structure like structural strength to uh, feathers white feathers are going to wear out um, uh-huh. first, and that we see this in the plumage uh, uh, yeah, yeah, change birds, in yeah. snow buntings. I mean, they yeah. have white feathers, and then those white feathers edges erode, and then underneath it reveals their gorgeous uh, uh, mottled brown color, so that, there's mm-hmm. an example right there. But melanosomes actually, you know, they, they add structural strength, but they're also very resistant pigments, so they're very I'm not going to say easy to fossilize, but relatively uh-huh. easy to fossilize. And with Sinusoropteryx, you get patterns too. So you can see Ooh, where really? melanosomes are and where they're not. Where they're not, you're so going like to have bands. A, yeah, like, oh, yeah, bands, stripes. Uh, if you look up Whoa. some of the uh, recent uh, news on the color of Sinusoropteryx, we know that it has a vertically striped, rusty red and pale tail. It has what? it has pale under coverings. The uh, yeah, like modern birds. Yeah, oh, wow, that's really yeah, interesting. exactly. The upper <laughs> half is a rusty brown, and it actually has eye line coloration. So it has an eye stripe. Really, and wow. a ca- and, and a cap. So it's like, bam! That's a that's yeah, that's, a that sounds like a bird I, I can see. Yeah, right. No joke. Yeah, <laughs> you, you see that running around and go, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that yeah, that's totally fits. I, yeah. yeah, yeah, that works. We we're used to this. It's <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's neat how you were able to take your well, like your interest in this uh, in bird glamour and your your professional interest in uh, fossilized birds and combine them in that way. Uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's kind of it, it was it's really nice because I've, I've been a bird nut since I've been a little kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, re- I remember the first bird that I the first bird that I think I really learned how to identify, and it's a varied thrush. And I was mm-hmm. yeah, I was watching a bunch of robins. There was a uh, freak uh, spring snowstorm, and they were kind of uh, uh, foraging around on the ground. And I was looking and going, "That's a weird robin. There's something weird <laughs> about that robin. It doesn't. It's, it's about yeah. the right size, but and it was a varied thrush foraging with a robin. Oh, neat. Like. So I get so when I figured out that you know there's paleontology isn't just you know dinosaurs and large mammals and yeah. marine reptiles like there's fossilized birds and like oh this is great i can do both it's wonderful yeah i feel like i could go in that direction if i'd prepared a few questions for that, that would, <laughs> oh, hey, it no would worries. be an interesting direction to go maybe another time we can talk about fossilized birds hey i'll always come back and chat Absolutely. So, uh, you know, what has been the response to this uh, Bird Glamour project? Because it, it does feel like a really clever way to get, you know, people to think about birds. Have you have you received feedback from both bird people and sort of non-bird people? I have, yeah. And I have to admit, it was a little, when I posted my very, very first gla- Bird Glamour, which was a short-eared owl, 
I was mm-hmm. nervous. I was extremely nervous because, look, here I am. It's a makeup thing. I'm a scientist, and I'm throwing my face out on the internet. Right. R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. My mentions. Right. You know. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this couldn't possibly go wrong. Thankfully, the response has been overwhelmingly positive from both the uh, people who are. Uh, in the bird world and from people mm-hmm. that are just you know, are, are interested in birds and interested in the natural world around them. It's uh, uh, every post that I do, usually somebody says, oh, my God, this one's my favorite. And it's like, oh, yeah, good. <laughs> right. And yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, I end up hitting somebody's favorite bird or I, I hear feedback like I did not know this bird was around this is excellent so it's like yes excellent (laughs) somebody knows about a bird my plan is coming to fruition i'm not sure what the plan (laughs) is other than getting people excited it's a work in progress yeah no it's it's, it's a few steps between getting people interested in birds and world domination i have to fill in those steps right that's the hard one yeah yeah Yeah, how does that work (laughs) but yeah the response has been very very positive very encouraging I uh, usually I get people saying, oh, can you do this bird next and, and this bird? And I've had uh, feedback from teachers in the uh, K through 12 system who uh, show their classes by bird glamours. And uh, oh, cool. yeah, one of the uh, one of the best responses I uh, received was a uh, letter package from a, a teacher. They run a uh, a garden and nature club for their kids Mm -hmm. and the bird glamour is part of their uh, work or should say Mm -hmm. bird glamour is uh, part of what they get introduced to so the teacher shows them the uh, birds that are in their area and I got a package of letters from the kids saying oh my favorite bird was the great blue heron and uh, Mm -hmm. I loved your I loved your snowy owl bird glamour and oh cool you're a you do bird glamour and you're a paleontologist. Dinosaurs rule. And yeah, it was just, yeah. you know, I got, got the kids excited about birds and uh, I was like, oh yeah, that's, uh, I, I may have teared up a little bit. Not going to lie. It, it was very <laughs> that's touching. great. <laughs> Lisa Buckley is the creator of Bird Glamour. I've, I'll have a link to all our stuff in the show notes. Please check them out. And I, I hope we did them justice with some of the descriptions. It's, it's always going to be a little tough. Uh, when I talk to artists, but anyway, uh, you you can find her on Twitter at Lisa Vipes, uh, where she frequently posts bird glamour under hashtag bird glamour. Thank you so much, Lisa. This is this is a lot of fun. Oh, thanks, Nate. This was great. Hey, everybody! It is Halloween. Everyone's favorite dress-up holiday. Way, way. Way better than Purim, let me tell you. And of course, we birders are going to take inspiration from our passion and dress up as birds on this day. It is it is only natural. If you have dressed up as a bird this year, so for today or this week, follow the show notes and leave a comment on the ABA blog. We'd love to see your costume. But I want to focus on some costumes from years past. And, and while this costuming is very much a visual thing and not super well suited to an audio medium like this podcast, I'm going to do my best to describe a few of the costumes that were shared when I asked about this on the very entertaining Red Polling Facebook group. Thanks again to all of you who responded to my question. With your permission, I'm going to put a few of these on a blog post that accompanies this episode. I'll start with the kid costumes because 
You know, the best part about being a parent is strongly encouraging your children to be unwitting props uh, to your madness in the form of bird costumes. Teresa Dendy shared a photo of her daughter as a black-chinned hummingbird. It is a very impressive costume, clearly hand-sewn, really just nice, nice work. There are shiny wings with impressively detailed feathers. There is a sequined gorget, which is looks really good, and tiny, tiny feet sticking out of her daughter's stomach, which is a detail I did not know I needed. Fantastic work, Teresa. Zach Schwartz, Weinstein's one-year-old daughter dressed as a chick, and it is as adorable as you would expect. Uh, Jeff Tell's children dressed as a cardinal and a blue jay with some awesome accompanying masks. Uh, the blue jay's wings, which are you know pinned to the arms, as wings are, are particularly well-detailed. Thanks for that, Jeff. To the adults, Stephanie Bielke, Bielke, I apologize if I get these wrong, uh, was a black crown night heron for a work Halloween party, which involved a gray outfit with yellow leggings. Very nice touch there. Various stars and moons on her shirt. She has some wings. She has a very nice feather mask. Super work, Stephanie. Uh, Nathaniel Sharp and his girlfriend went as a birder and a snowy owl. He the birder, she the snowy owl. Bonus points for probably having all the birder-appropriate costume ready to go in your closet. Nathaniel, uh, I, I know you wear that tilly hat out. Sharon Steitler, aka The Bird Chick, if you're not listening to her podcast, you should probably check that out too, had a seriously ambitious turkey vulture costume, which involves this red bald cap and a lot of red makeup and a black feather boa. Uh, Alex Lynn Moore notes that this costume is also a great excuse for when the party goes late and you barf on someone who's annoying you. Very of a piece with turkey vultures. Sarah Toner has a streamer tailed tyrant costume, which involved a suit jacket with long white ribbon tails attached to her back. Very clever. But the most impressive, to my eyes at least, was Acadia Coker. She and her boyfriend dressed as superb birds of paradise. If you don't know this bird offhand, this is one of the famous birds from the David Attenborough uh, Life of Birds, the, the Bird of Paradise documentary. It's that one with the black oval and the blue line across the bottom and the male is like bouncing up and down on the log. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Very fascinating, bizarre, like birds of paradise are. Anyway, he dressed as the black and iridescent blue clad male. She as the more subdued and obviously, justifiably skeptical female. It, it is really nicely done. Uh, amazing stuff. There are more in that thread and in another thread started by Lee and Reagan uh, at Red Polling. Worth checking out for sure. I'll, I'll include some photos in the blog post, as I said before. Um, thanks, everybody. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast and the other free resources that the ABA provides to birders, the best way to help support them is by joining the ABA. With an ABA membership, you show that you care about contributing to a vibrant and active birding community in the U.S., Canada, and beyond. Learn more at aba.org join or check out our e-memberships at aba.org e-member. Special thanks to Charles and Millette Reed of Heath, Texas, Ayapan Nair and Radia Palay, and Nakul Nair of North Wales, Pennsylvania, Eric I. Johnson of Sunset, Louisiana, Mike Anderson of Plymouth, 
Michigan, Deepesh Misra and Rohini Mehta and Mahika Misra of Centerville, Virginia, Bill Banesh and Robin Puffenbarger of Bridgewater, Virginia, Katrina Moylanen of Howell, Michigan, Henrietta Burke of Maple Grove, Minnesota, Leo Van Hatten of Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Mike Anderson of Plymouth, Michigan, all of whom joined recently and renewed all of whom joined recently or renewed their membership in the ABA and noted the podcast as one of the reasons why. Thank you so much and welcome or welcome back to the ABA. Executive producer of the American Birding Podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. In keeping with the season, he wants listeners to watch out tonight for spooky birds like Blood Pheasant. Technical production is by John Lowry, who this year is dressing up as a vampire ground finch which is more or less just black pants, black shirt, drinking red wine all night. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who are jointly dressing up this year as the undead sea sparrow. Your mileage may vary as to how terrifying a zombie sparrow is. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA for the big ABA Halloween bash. I'm extremely lazy. A mask, a duckbill hanging out quietly on the edge of the room makes for a fine impression of a mass duck code four baby questions and comments can come to me at podcast at aba.org i'll see some of you next week at the rio grande valley birding festival come by next saturday for a live recording it'll be fun i'm nate swick thanks for listening till next time <laughs>